You know, if you look at the, uh, the question that Jesus asked there in Luke chapter 6, you might be a little bit confused. I mean, after all, Jesus is talking to some of his disciples. And then he asked them why they call him Lord, Lord, but at the same time, they won't do the things that he said to do. And it, it's, it's usually assumed that if you look to one as your Lord, the one that has the right and the authority to tell you what to do, you'll do what he says. I mean, if, if you recognize that relationship between you, then you're going to do what he tells you to do. But Jesus here says <clears throat> that there are some people who call him Lord, Lord, and but won't do what he told them to do. And uh, one of the things that this kind of highlights, at least to me, is the fact that people are not what you would call consistent. Uh, you would think that uh, people on the whole would try to be the same all the time. Uh, they would try to say the same thing. They would try to like the same things. Basically, they would be predictable. And unfortunately, that is not the case at all. Uh, it, it's interesting to me. I, I've said it uh, quite a few times, just uh, kind of making fun of it. But uh, people understand the concept of rationality, but they can't do it. To be rational means that you look at the evidence, you assess the evidence, and then you do what the evidence tells you to do or you believe what the evidence tells you to believe. You don't say, well, it, it says this, but I'm gonna do this instead. Rational people are predictable people, they are logical people, and they will always try to do exactly what the evidence tells them to do. And almost none of us are like that. And I, I do not accept myself from that either. There are times when I kind of step back and say, what was that all about? Why did you do that? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But we all do that. Now, a lot of the time, if we're going to be inconsistent, it can be embarrassing. It can be a problem. But now, when you're talking about being inconsistent religiously, that has eternal consequences. It's not something that's embarrassing. We don't want anybody to point it out. It's not something that might get us in a little bit of trouble. This is something that can have eternal consequences. We have got to be consistent. Now, one of the reasons that people oftentimes will be inconsistent, even, even religiously, is because they don't know enough. Now, it, it's true. You know, sometimes you think, well, you know, as a Christian, you ought to know better than that. Well, sometimes they don't. You know, if, if you can go back and uh, look at your life when you were a young Christian, when you had uh, obeyed the gospel fairly recently, there were things that you didn't know. Well, a, a lot of people maybe won't say that because they, as, uh, as we oftentimes say, grew up in the church. Now, some of us were not that fortunate. Uh, I was about 30 when I obeyed the gospel, and there were a lot of things that I did not know. And somebody might ask me about it, and I'd say, well, is, is it a problem? I don't know. I don't know if it's a problem or not. I don't know what I should do here, and I don't even know where to look. Help me out. Uh, 
but it can be a problem because some people just really honestly don't know the right thing to do. Again, because they don't have enough experience, they don't have enough, of, enough time uh, as a Christian to know what they're doing. Over in uh, Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. Now, this is the New King James rendering, but still, you see Jesus telling them that they need to enter by the narrow gate. That's the one you want, because the other one leads to destruction, and that's where a lot of people are going. But the, the, the really telling thing, I think, about this, uh, this passage is there at the end of verse 14, where Jesus is telling them uh, that uh, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Normally, when we're talking about this passage, we're talking about the difficulty of going through this narrow or straight gate. And we talk about the difficulty uh, of maintaining ourselves on the narrow way. But here, Jesus is saying, you know, they didn't even get that far. They can't enter the gate because they don't even know where it is. They don't know. And again, there are reasons for people oftentimes not knowing the correct way to go, the correct thing to do. Uh, one of the things that people sometimes uh, like to say is that you can be sincerely ignorant or sincerely wrong, and it's going to be fine. God will overlook that. Uh, but there's a problem with that. Actually, there's a few of them, but the, the biggest one, uh, at least to my mind, is the fact you cannot stay sincerely ignorant for long. You just can't do it. You know, used to, I kind of had the idea that what you need to do is, uh, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, even when you had to give them the benefit of the doubt for an extended period of time, give them the benefit of the doubt. But the fact of the matter is, is there comes a time when people should learn what they're supposed to do. They should not be ignorant anymore. And if they are sincerely ignorant, they're not going to the right places and talking to the right people. And think about it this way. You are a, 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 a young person. You're told this is how you're going to get to heaven, and this is something that you need to do. And they don't tell you all of it, though. So what do you want to do? Find out the rest. You're going to try to find out the rest. And you can't be seriously, sincerely ignorant for very long without that. And, and it's not like God is hiding. You know, if we have to go and ask. We have, to, we have to find the gate. And we have to be actively involved in doing it. And uh, a lot of the denominational people absolutely positively hate that. Because in their minds... There is nothing that you can do that is going to influence your salvation in the least. Nothing. I mean, I, I have, honestly, I have heard Church of God preachers stand behind a pulpit and tell people I could commit every sin in the book right here 
and it would not affect my salvation in the least. He was right, but not the way he thought he was because his salvation had not been accomplished. So it really didn't matter what other sins he piled on top of the ones he already had. He was still going to the same place, but it wasn't heaven. But that is the attitude that some of them have. It doesn't matter what I do. God is going to take care of me anyway. And I have asked some people who are not quite that bold in things that they say, you know, well, if, if you commit a sin, are you still going to go to heaven? Yes. Why do you say that? You know, God doesn't like people who sin. You're not supposed to go out and sin. So why? Well, you know, God overlooks that because I'm a child of God. You mean you're not going to get punished in any way for this? Well, maybe. You know, you get them to a point where they, they don't like to talk about it anymore, I think because they do realize it's not consistent. They are not being consistent. Now, over in uh, Acts chapter 14, in verse 17, the Apostle Paul is talking to some people at Lystra, and he says, Nevertheless, he, meaning God, did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. He says that God did not leave himself without witness. In other words, there are things that point to God. There are things that we see around us that tell us, even if we've never seen a Bible, even if we've never heard about God, there are things that point us in that direction. In Acts chapter 17, in verse 26, Paul is talking to the, uh, the Greek philosophers. He says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He's not hiding in order to, to leave us in a, a difficult position, not being able to find him and not being able to find out what he wants us to do. God keeps himself at a, a small distance. That gives us the opportunity to make a, a choice. That, in essence, is it. There are a lot of things, in, in the New Testament especially, where God is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a choice. You get to make it. I'm not going to force it on you. I, I'm not going to do anything that will make you do one thing or another. I'm going to stand back and let you choose. And that's what he's doing. He stands back to let us choose. Uh, over in uh, Romans chapter 1, in verse 20, Paul said, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. He's, he's talking about the difference between Jews and Gentiles. And one of the issues that they have is, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And I've heard this from time to time when someone says, well, what about people that have never heard the gospel? What about them? What about people you've got, uh, say, someplace like New Guinea? You've got people way up in the mountains there. They've never seen a white man. 
They've never seen a Bible. They don't know the first thing about any of this stuff. What about them? Well, Paul here says they are without excuse. You can't say that that is an excuse for doing wrong. And again, it's because God has left himself sufficient witness that any reasonable, rational person would look at the world around them and they would say, this did not happen by accident. This had to have been designed. It had to have been created. And I want to find out who did it because I want to know what he wants from me. I mean, that's just plain out and out the, uh, the first logical step. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think is, is his name, uh, he's one of these uh, television scientists. And I saw a thing a while ago uh, where he was telling someone, he said, yeah, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of the things that happen uh, in the world, and it has forced me to be an atheist. He's a lying dog, just to be as plain about it as you can be, because there is nobody who will look uh, at, at any detail at all about anything, whether you're talking about the physical world around us, if you're talking about uh, biology, if you're talking about chemistry, if you're talking about anything. If you start to, to examine that and look at it in detail, you have to come to the conclusion this could not happen by itself. Somebody out there had to make it. Watch some of these shows sometime and see how many times they use words like engineered, designed, things like that. When they're talking about, say, the human body, for example, they can't avoid talking about it that way. Even though every time they say it, it's saying, you know, yeah, we think it was created. You know, it didn't happen by accident. It could not have happened by accident. There is no possible way. So when he says that he doesn't believe, it's because he chose not to believe. And that's one of the things. I said you, you can be uh, ignorant for a while uh, and be that way sincerely, but you can't be that way for very long because over in uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us the kind of things that we're supposed to do. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, ask. First thing he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Again, we have to be active in seeking these things out. God doesn't force it on us, but he makes us a promise. If you ask, sincerely wanting to know the answer, God will give you the opportunity to find it. Now, he's not going to do it miraculously. It, it, it will be providentially, but he will give you an opportunity to find the answer. If you are searching for something, if you are honestly, sincerely wanting to find it, he says, if you seek, you'll find. If you knock on that door, it will be opened. You cannot be sincerely ignorant for very long. Because if you are, you're going to have to drop the sincerely part because you chose to be that way. The information is out there. All you have to do is look for it. 
Now, some people are ignorant because they have help. You know, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter said there were false prophets among the people. There will be false teachers among you. That's just the way it is. And it has always been. Now, what do you do if you realize that there are going to be false teachers from time to time? How do you find them? How do you identify them? You have to judge their fruits. What are they teaching? What are they not teaching? And the only way that you're going to be able to tell if they're teaching the right things or not is if you have a certain knowledge level yourself. You know, there are so many people in the religious world who think they don't have to know anything. You know, you, you talk to some of them. One of the things I used to hear from people fairly frequently is you'd be talking to them about something, and they said, well, my preacher said, well, I don't care what your preacher said. What do you say, and what does the Bible say? Well, I don't know. They, every bit of, of, of uh, religious knowledge they have is cycled through their preacher. And I'm here to tell you that they're not telling them the truth. I, I have said many times that if you get a teenage boy bored to the point that he will pick up a Bible and follow along with the preacher, you have done something. There were times in my younger days when I would get so bored that I would pick up a Bible and I would follow along with the preacher, whether we were at a, uh, a Baptist church or a church of God. Uh, we moved around a lot, and it was kind of like, well, who's closest? That's where we'll go. <clears throat> and I followed along with them sometimes, and they all had one thing in common. They would say, we follow the Bible. And they had something else in common. None of them were doing it. You could follow along in the Bible with them, and then all of a sudden they would, I called it, observe the Passover. They would bounce right over some verses and wouldn't talk about those. And it's kind of like, well, now wait a second here. You're doing a really good job up until there, and then all of a sudden you just bounced over some verses. What about them? Why didn't you want to deal with those? What, what's the deal here? I want to know. Or they would spend half of their time explaining why the Bible really did not mean what it said. And again, if you say that it doesn't mean what it says, what makes you think that? I'll tell you, there, there are times when the Bible does not literally mean what it says, but it always tells you that. It's not left up to you. You know, it's not a matter of your opinion. The Bible will tell you that this is what it's doing. It's there. All you have to do is look for it. So you, you have people who are helping some of these ignorant people to remain ignorant, and they're all going to be lost. You know, I, I cannot stand before God in the judgment and say, well, yes, I know I didn't do the right things. Uh, I, I wasn't what I should have been, but it's all his fault. He was the preacher, and that's what he told me to do. So you can't blame me. And he'll say, you had a Bible. You had other people you could have listened to. You had instructions for me to ask about things. 
to seek for truth, to knock on the correct door. You didn't do any of that. So you're to blame too. You know, when, when Jesus was talking about the blind leading the blind, Matthew 15, 14, where did he say they were going? They're all going to fall in the ditch. You can't blame somebody else. You're going to have to take the blame yourself. Now, the one that, that at least in my mind, is probably one of the more prevalent ones, and it, it's a bad thing that it is, is you have some people that are ignorant on purpose. That's what they want to be. You can't blame me. I didn't know. Well, could you have known? Well, I don't know. You know, I just, I thought it was unreasonable that I was supposed to spend some of my own personal private time studying the Bible. I thought, you know, if I showed up for services every so often, I was good to go. You know, it's the preacher's fault. He didn't get all that pounded into my head. It's all his fault. That doesn't work either. There are a lot of people who want to be ignorant because as long as they're ignorant, they get to do what they want. You know, if you're, if you're going through the Bible and you find something that says fornication's a sin, and you say, well, man, I, I don't want that to be right, so I'm going to forget about that, and I'm never going to look at a verse like that again. Or you shall not steal. That's where I get most of my money. I can't, I can't stop that, so I'm going to ignore that and go on. The people are ignorant, but they're ignorant on purpose. They don't want to know. I saw a uh, uh, movie back a long time ago that uh, uh, was kind of funny. There was a, he was a professional thief, and uh, uh, one day an uncharacteristic good deed got him in trouble. He, he was saving somebody from getting hit by a truck, and he got hit by the truck, and uh, he's in the hospital. Well, he thinks that he has died and that God says, I'm going to give you another chance. You did a good deed, so I'm, I'm not going to require your soul now. I'm going to let you live, but you have to go out and do good things. So he's going to go out and do some good things. And he, he's sitting in a restaurant, and he's reading through a Bible. He's never seen one before, doesn't know anything about it, but he's trying to learn. And he sees something about Jesus feeding the multitudes with loaves and fishes. And he thinks, oh, there, that, yeah, that's an idea. So he goes to a, a local fast food restaurant that specializes in tuna on a roll, and he holds them up and says, I want 100 tuna on a roll sandwiches. And then he goes down to a, a local homeless camp and passes them out to the people there. He thinks, oh, that's got to be a good thing. And then he goes back, and he's reading through the Bible again, and it says, thou shalt not steal. Ooh. Oh, I, I can't do that one again. Now what am I going to do? But see, people don't want to learn some of these things. Because if you learn it, you have to make a choice. And that's one of the most uncomfortable things that there is about being a Christian is having to make some of these choices. They're not easy. Nobody ever said they would be. But if you go back over and look at, at uh, Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He says these people are suppressing the truth. They don't want to know it. They don't want to believe it. They don't want to hear it. 
And, and that is, is one of the, uh, I think one of the biggest problems that we have with false teachers, if you go back uh, to the, the, the second point, you know, some people are ignorant because the preachers help them be that way. One of the things that they do is they don't talk about some things. You know, if, if somebody says false teacher, what's the first thing pops into your head? Somebody that is actively teaching false doctrine. They're teaching things they should not teach. Those guys are the easy ones to catch. A false teacher is also a false teacher because of what he doesn't teach. If he is not preaching the whole counsel of God, he's a false teacher. You know, you go to Acts chapter 20 when the Apostle Paul called for the Ephesian elders, and he told them, he said, I'm, I'm, I am clean from the blood of all men. Why? He had held back nothing that was helpful to them. He had taught them everything. He didn't hold any of it back. But you have some people who will do that. And you can, you can kind of see how the process goes sometimes. Say you've got a, a fairly large congregation. You've got a guy who's doing the, uh, the preaching for you. He's got a family, uh, a couple of kids about to go into college. And the elders take him aside one night and they say, you know, you've, you've been doing a really good job. We really appreciate it. But there's, there's one little thing we want to ask you to do. And he says, well, well, what's that? He said, we don't want you to teach on marriage, divorce, and remarriage anymore. Well, why not? Well, because we've got a couple of members of the congregation here who are, are in situations like that. And they are really big contributors. And, you know, if you do that very much and they keep, you know, preaching on this, then eventually those people are going to get mad and they're going to leave and they're going to take their checkbook with them. And we'd rather not have that happen. And so he, he reasons to himself, huh, I don't really want to do that. You know, I, I don't need to keep back things people need to know. But, you know, if I did just hold off on that just that one thing you know everything I'm preaching is, is true I'm just going to avoid one little subject that's not such a big deal is it and besides you know I've, I've got a good job here they pay pretty well and you know I've got a car payment and a house payment two kids to put through college you know I can't afford to just say no I'm not going to do that and then go look for another job even if I found one it might not pay as well so, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll do that. I'll just, that, that one little thing, I just won't talk about it anymore. And now he sacrificed his principles, and he's a false teacher. And that's one of the things you've got to watch out for. Are they preaching the whole counsel of God? Because if they're not, they're false teachers, and they will lead people astray. Again, over in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want it there. They didn't want to think about it because it would make them feel guilty. So they, they, they get, a, get rid of the teacher, if you can at all. You know, over uh, again in Matthew chapter 7, I, I have come to think that this is a, a pretty accurate 
uh, portrayal of what's going to happen on the judgment to a, a lot of people. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are going to be a lot of people who are ignorant, either because that's the way they want to be, or somebody has helped them to be that way, or both, that in the judgment, are gonna, I thought I was perfectly fine. What happened? You know, I thought I was good to go. Look at all of the good things I've done for God. I thought everything was fine. What happened? They didn't learn what they needed to learn, and they did it to themselves. You know, in Titus chapter 1, in verse 16, Paul said they professed to know God, but in works, they deny him. Their works show what they are. Over in the book of Ezekiel, this, this to me is, uh, it, it is an absolutely wonderful picture, a word picture of the way things are a lot of the time, sadly so. But in Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning in verse 30, God is talking to the prophet. He says, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come, hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Let's go, let's go listen to the guy. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. They're listening, but they're not really paying any attention. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words but they do not do them. He says, they'll come and listen, and they'll say, oh, wow, that guy is a great speaker. What did he preach on? Hmm. Uh, well, it was something out of the Bible. You know, how many times have you heard somebody talk about a, uh, a preacher that you weren't acquainted with, and maybe they weren't acquainted with, they went to a gospel meeting somewhere, and, uh, you know, maybe this guy was well-known in certain quarters or something. Uh, you know, one of the first things that people talk about is, boy, he's a really good speaker. Well, that's, that's good, but what did he speak about? Was he teaching the truth? You know, if you have a really good speaker that is not teaching the truth, you have a really big problem. Truth comes first. How good he is at it, it comes second. But as, as, as God told Ezekiel, they hear your words, but they do not do them. They prefer to be ignorant. You know, folks, we, we have that kind of a choice ourselves. Like I said, God gives us choices, and oftentimes they are not comfortable choices because we have to make them. We have to do something about it. And sometimes when we make a choice, 
we have to admit we were wrong before. I did something wrong, I caused a problem, now I'm making the choice to try to fix it. It can be a very difficult thing to do, but if we want to be right in the sight of God, we have to. Make the correct choices, go asking, seeking, and knocking, looking for God's truth, and he has promised, if you do, you'll find it. And then you need to modify your life to match it. It may be that there's someone here this evening that's not a child of God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, God, through his grace and mercy, has given you another opportunity to obey the gospel of Christ. You could come forward confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. If you're an erring child of God, then you need to go to God in prayer. Confess your sin to him from a repentant heart and ask him to forgive you, and he's promised to do that. If your sin is public in nature, then your repentance should be public as well so that you'll not bring shame and reproach upon the church. Or it might be that you're here and you just need the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, we ask that you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.